Hi, I'm Peggy. And I'm Dave. And this is Amped, the podcast for people with limb loss. Hello, Dave. How are you today? I'm good. How are you doing, Peggy? I'm doing well, thank you. Another week done, halfway through April. Man, year is flying, isn't it? I know. Well, tax day is on Tuesday. Boom, boom, boom. Isn't it tomorrow? It's Monday. It's tomorrow. That's right. Well, it's still on Tuesday. I didn't say a few days away. I said on Tuesday. But it's tomorrow's not, Monday. Yeah, but tax day is not tomorrow because Emancipation Day is um, in D.C. is on Monday. So that means that tax day is the 17th this year. Really? Yes. Tax day huh. is actually supposed to be April 15th. But yes, I know that. April, April 15th is on a Sunday. Then if the following Monday is Emancipation Day in Washington, D.C., which it is, that means that everybody gets until Tuesday for their taxes. Okay. See, you learned something, and we didn't even start the podcast yet. And if by some miracle, um, bad miracle, Peggy is wrong, please send all your complaints when you fail to file your tax return in a timely fashion directly to Peggy. I know I'm not wrong. (laughs) I I know I'm not wrong. Okay. I'm glad to hear that, having not filed my taxes yet. Is, I, I just Googled it just to double check, and taxes are due April 17th. Wow. Peggy, I know. every day I learn something new when I speak to you. That's right. That's right. Yes. That, that is what I'm here for. This was a scintillating in intro to our podcast. <laughs> in today's <laughs> podcast, Dave is going to be informing us on something new, um, and that is the new CMS rule that was just released uh, last week, I believe, on April 9th. So, looking forward to hearing all about it, Dave. Are you really? I am. Wow. I am. Okay, you're a glutton for punishment. So, no, you know, I think that this is something that um, when you first brought onto the onto my radar that this rule was being released, I immediately went into kind of panic mode on, oh no, what's going to happen? Um, and I think that that it does have some wide ranging implications, but it's certainly not as the sky is falling as I feared. Yeah, I think this is um, this is the kind of rule that I would, it's hard for me to say that any aspect of it is particularly positive for the limb loss, limb difference community, but it's also very hard to me to say that it's going to have any near-term direct impact on people. I think that the effects of this are probably going to be somewhat less obvious and um, they're just going to play out over time and um, we'll talk through exactly what it means. But um, as you said, Peggy, the, the rule was released last Monday, right after we released our last podcast. So that's why it wasn't on that one. And um, it does have some pretty wide ranging implications. The The key aspect of it, I think if you're going to look at it from 30,000 feet, is this is a rule that gives the states a lot more latitude to make decisions as it relates to uh, issues covered by the Affordable Care Act or Obamacare uh, than they had before the rule was finalized. And in general, I think most of these changes will make insurance companies happy. And I therefore immediately sort of the hair on the back of my neck goes up because things that make insurers happy typically do not make consumers like us happy. So, um, you know, it's like I said at the beginning, there's nothing in here that I think really jumps off the page as, wow, that's fantastic. Um, there's cause to be concerned, but we shouldn't be panicking. 
Exactly. And a little bit of background is that CMS has a broad authority to implement rules affecting healthcare. We all know this. Um, going back to the Affordable Care Act, one way to change it was through repeal and replace, which if you remember from last year, 2017, we had a lot of calls to action where, where, um, there was a lot of, of activity to try to do that. It failed. The other way to change the Affordable Care Act is through administrative and rule changes through CMS. Yeah. Go ahead. ahead. I I was just going to say the CMS administrator, Seema Verma, uh, has already come out against the Affordable Care Act. And do you want me to read the quote, Dave, or do you want to read it? Okay. Quote, Obamacare has serious flaws that ultimately lead congressional action in order to correct. But until the law changes, we won't stand idly by as Americans suffer. And today's announcement will offer some relief to Americans who have seen higher premiums and fewer choices since Obamacare was implemented. Yeah. And the words of the quote themselves, if you just read that quote in a vacuum, you would say, oh, that's not really anti Affordable Care Act. But what we know about Seema Verma historically is she's very strongly um, anti-Obamacare. She was hired by Mike Pence in Indiana originally to try to uh, find ways to uh, work around the edges of the Affordable Care Act legally um, and implemented some programs there that, that were much more, uh, much more the darling of traditional conservative Republican thought than of the kind of thinking that led to the passage of the Affordable Care Act. And when you actually look at this quote, I mean, she talks about higher premiums and fewer choices. And those things are true, but that completely ignores the context in which that's occurring. The reason in particular over the last 18 18 months or so that we're seeing higher premiums and fewer choices is a result of uh, actions taken largely uh, by the White House to destabilize the insurance exchanges that have led to fewer insurers in the marketplace because they're backing out because they're terrified. They don't know how stable those markets are and uh, leading to higher premiums as well. Um, In addition, while premiums have been higher, so too have been the cost sharing subsidies. So in fact, if you look at people who qualify for subsidies, the cost of healthcare on the exchanges today is actually the same or lower than it was in 2017, which sounds totally counterintuitive, but it's just the way that it ended up working out. Um, I think much to uh, probably the Republican chagrin because that's not what they uh, were gunning for. They didn't want these subsidies to to get even uh, more expensive for the government than they than they were previously. But the way the math works out and the way it works mechanically, that's what happened. So important, just I think to Peggy to put that all in context. Absolutely. So do you want to go over the final rule, Dave? That was, it was published last week, April 9th, and I know that you've spent the, the, a good deal of time, especially this weekend, going over it and, and really understanding it so that, that um, you, you knew what was going on, not only for your day job, but so that we could bring the information to AMPT. Sure. So um, few areas in which the final rule gives a huge grant of power to the states. 
And that's around the areas of essential health benefits, around plan design generally, around things called the medical loss ratio. We're not going to talk about all of these things in detail today. I'm just mentioning them up front. Um, the medical loss ratio is how much plans must spend on medical claims and quality improvement efforts. Um, so it, it gives the states more authority in all of those areas. It also relaxes notice requirements when insurers choose to increase their premiums. We'll explain specifically what that means as we go through this. And finally, it changes rules regarding navigators. Navigators are uh, entities whose purpose is to educate people about the insurance exchanges, to assist people with enrollment. And there are changes uh, to how uh, the navigators will work going forward as a result of this final rule. There's also, Peggy, about a billion other things in the rule. The rule is about 520 plus pages long. Um, I've chosen to focus on the ones that I think are most interesting to and uh, most likely to potentially impact our community rather than go through you know, everything that's in there, because it's, there's a lot. And we spoke about the navigators back when we uh, did our podcast on open enrollment, how the, the budgets for navigators and for even advertising open enrollment was really, really just decimated. So the fact that navigators were impacted by this rule is really not that surprising. Yes, uh, the the Trump administration and CMS have clearly put navigators sort of in the crosshairs as as a thing uh, or a part of the Affordable Care Act that they can focus on um, and and change. And you know the effect of it could be very profound. Hard to tell, um, but um, you know it's clearly an area they're interested in. So let's focus first, Peggy, on essential health benefits. Um, It's obviously essential health benefits for our community is kind of a trigger issue, right? Um, We, the the benefit of essential health benefits to us is that prosthetics in all 50 states right now are covered as an essential health benefit under the general category, rehabilitative and habilitative uh, equipment and services. So because... All of those things are because anything falling under an essential health benefit um, gets that designation. What that leads to is a prohibition on lifetime or annual limits with respect to those types of benefits. So because prosthetics by all 50 states right now are considered essential health benefits, you can't be subject to lifetime limits on them. You can't be subject to annual limits, monetary limits on them either. That's why essential health benefits are so important to us. And what the final rule does is it gives the states much greater latitude in selecting benchmark plans. And benchmark plans are the, let's just call them exemplar health insurance plans that in every state for every exchange, that's the baseline for what has to be covered. So um, as an example, if you had a state that chose that said prosthetics weren't rehabilitative or habilitative equipment, and they chose a benchmark plan with that kind of clause in it, then every benchmark, every other plan in the state sold on the exchanges could mirror it and choose not to cover prosthetics. A great example of this actually, Peggy, in real life was in New York a few years ago, where the benchmark plan had the one prosthesis per limb per life limit. And Every plan on the exchange mm-hmm. in a state where only one insurer previously had ever had that specific language, every plan on the exchange adopted that language. So um, giving states greater latitude in how they select benchmark plans uh, is could potentially have impact 
on us. Uh, I don't think it's all that likely uh, given uh, the current state of things, but it could happen. And um, one of the ways, I'll just give you one example of how can you select a benchmark plan differently under the, under the rule the example they give is you can now go and choose any state's benchmark plan as your benchmark plan. And so, for example, if New York, a very liberal state, or California, a very liberal state, which tries to, in general, cover more than less, if they, if insurers in that state, or if, if this, sorry, not insurers, if the state insurance department chose to go and look at a state like Alabama's benchmark plan, uh, a state that's much more conservative, much more red-leaning, and tends to be much uh, lighter from a benefit perspective overall in health insurance, uh, that could really have significant ramifications on people because the, even though it might cover all of the same essential health benefits, the coverage might be skimpier or more restricted in some way. Um, it doesn't, however, and I want to be clear about this, this doesn't change the essential health benefits uh, requirement that rehabilitative and habilitative items and services be covered. So it doesn't change that requirement. It doesn't change the requirement in the current law that uh, prohibits discrimination. Uh, and that was one of the arguments against the New York One Prosthesis Per Limb Per Lifetime provision was that it discriminated against a disabled population. Um, and they said straight out in the comments to the rule, this is not intended to reduce benefits, but to allow for more innovative benefits. And this is kind of the recurring theme, Peggy, as you read through 520 some odd pages of, co of comments and um, answer them answering questions submitted by the public uh, in response to the proposed rule, a, a recurring theme is we want to encourage innovation. We're trying to drive down cost in the system. And that's why we're allowing all of these things to happen. Does that make sense? It does make sense. It's a lot of um, right now, nothing has really changed but it really if kind of as i understand it dave if one state comes up with a benchmark that kind of reduces prosthetic coverage then it could be a domino effect yeah let's say for example that another state adopted the one prosthesis per limb per life policy they said we're gonna that's gonna be our that, that that's gonna be in our benchmark right, that's our innovation well, yeah if nevada did that if alaska did that well in theory Every other state, if they wanted to, would say, you know what, I'm going to follow their benchmark plan. Right. As opposed to the, you know, the current way you do it, which is you only look – the only way you can actually access um, a benchmark plan would be by looking at plans within the state in which the exchange sits. So that's the, that's the big deal there. Um, another interesting point with respect to essential health benefits, Peggy, is that the final rule is very clear that it's going to restrict – states from selecting benchmark plans that have more generous benefits. So what they're basically doing is they're anticipating that in some states that are particularly uh, consumer friendly, uh, they're concerned that benchmark plans could be selected that have especially rich benefits packages. And with that comes higher cost. And they're saying, no, you can't go and do that because we're so worried about cost that um, we're going to prevent you from selecting plans that are too good, that have coverage that's too broad uh, for for the uh, people buying these plans on the exchanges. Interesting. Yeah. That seems like a, a logistical nightmare, though, to try to manage. And, and how do they decide 
which which ones are too good, as you said? There are actually standards laid out in the rule for for what that would okay. look like, but and we won't go into it. But you're yeah. right. There's a lot. This this adds complexity at some level um, from from a classic conservative Republican perspective. All of this is good because what we're doing is we're giving powers power to the states and we want the states to have control and to make decisions. We want the federal government out of this kind of stuff. Uh, but one of the things that that necessarily leads to potentially is a lot more variability at, at a state by state level, a lot more complexity. Um, and so when we get to sort of the, the, the broader takeaways from the final rule at the end of this podcast, Peggy, we'll circle back to what the implications of that are. Um, Last point on and you're you're we're adding complexity and confusion and taking away the navigators. I'm seeing kind of a theme here. Well, you're not taking away the navigators. We'll talk about the navigators. Right. But you're, Reduce the navigators. You're, you're reconfiguring how states can work with navigators yes. a bit. So you're right. Uh, the interaction of all of these things, none, nothing in healthcare is ultimately disconnected from anything else. It's like this really complex chain and you pull out one link and it has ramifications throughout the entire system. Um, final point on EHBs, uh, the changes that we've just talked through, these will all take place in 2020. So starting in 2020 is when you'll see these changes. All right. What's going on with um, increasing premiums, Dave? Yeah. So under the current healthcare law, if an exchange insurer wants to increase its premiums by more than by 10% or more, they have to go to the state to get approval. So as we sit here today, you know, if Blue Cross of New York wants to go and increase its premiums for next year by 10% or more, they have to go to the state insurance department. They have to get approval from the state in order to sell the plan at a premium that, that that's that much higher. The final rule changes that number. It increases that number to 15% or more. And this is understandably raised concerns that, well, now insurers will just, they'll raise their premiums instead of you know, maybe they were all raising them 9.9% before this year so that they wouldn't trigger that 10% threshold to have to go to the state. Now they can raise them by 14.9% and not have to go to the state. Um, this is a concern that was raised in the comments to the proposed rules. And CMS responded essentially by saying, well, we've looked at the data. And so far, only one insurer has tried to increase premiums between 10 and 15%. So we don't think this is going to be that big a deal. Um, and my response to that is, well, that is probably because until now, insurers weren't being incentivized implicitly to increase premiums by 10 to 15%. They were being incentivized to increase them by up to 9.9%. Exactly. So I, I don't know that that, I don't know that that rationale really holds up to scrutiny, but, um, that's, that's the rationale. Um, this change will take effect in 2019. So we'll see this one right down next the pipe year. next year. Yeah. Wow. So on a state-by-state -state basis, this just means um, you, we may see premiums with that, that increase by up to 15%, but just under that, that trigger point. Uh, it'll be an interesting thing to watch and see if that's the case. Absolutely. Um, and the final um, issue that you brought up that, 
that we should be concerned about right now with this rule change is with the navigators. And the navigators are the entities that help educate the public about exchange plans and to help with signing up. And again, if you remember back from our open enrollment, the budget for the navigators was slashed. The advertising uh, efforts were were decimated. Um, and that's one of the reasons that, that we helped try to promote open enrollment. Um, so the new... The new rule does eliminate the requirement um, that there must be two navigators for every exchange. Yeah, it does. So <clears throat> there, there are a few different things going on here, but the central one is now a state could choose to select only one entity to be the navigator. And in addition, under the current law, at least one of the navigators in every state must be a nonprofit organization. They struck that requirement. And in addition, they struck the requirement that at least one navigator in every state must have a physical presence in the exchange area. The theory being that in the Affordable Care Act, that an ex- a navigator with actual sort of feet on the ground and the ability to meet with people in person at a local level would be helpful. Mm-hmm. And uh, the, the, the way the final rule plays out, that's no longer a requirement. And they say, well, it may be preferred to do that, we really think that states should have the flexibility to simply choose the most efficient and most effective navigators, no matter where they are. Uh, so, again, I, I'm not quite sure how this will play out, Peggy. You know, the cynical side of me says, in a worst case scenario, we could see very large companies uh, that are relatively disconnected from the local markets in which they're supposed to operate. Uh, doing, trying to do this work and not being very effective. Um, but maybe, uh, hopefully I'm wrong. Hopefully, you know, wh- whoever is selected by the states will do a good job and help educate people so that they can get the coverage that they need when they need it. All right. So that's another, we'll wait and see, but it's going to be a change. And when does that one go into effect, Dave? Not exactly sure. Honestly, I was going through the rule back and forth, back and forth, and I couldn't easily find it. And I'm sure it's in there, Peggy. Uh, okay. My guess is without having a, without being able to locate it specifically. Um, and I'm sorry, because I'm like punch drunk on going through this stuff backwards and forth. I'm sure. <laughs> but um, my best guess is it's probably 2019. Uh, but um, I will. I'll go back and try to confirm that for people and clarify. Okay. No. No worries. I was just curious if you knew. Um, so, to summary, uh, the states, because of the new CMS rule that was just released last week, have significantly more power uh, thanks to the rule, which again is is the effort to kind of circumvent some of the aspects of the Affordable Care Act. Um, the possibility exists that we're going to see more variation and hence more complexity in health care. Um, so just when you think that the, the system can't become more complex and more confusing, this is going to add another layer to everything. Um, insurers are happy, are going to welcome many of these changes, and we are going to be taking a kind of wait and see and very closely watch what happens in the states in the future going forward. Yeah. And this is where really having the amped army alerted and watching what's going on is going to be very important, particularly as we start to head into 2019. Um, As people start to hear about what's happening in the states, we'll obviously be monitoring it ourselves. But as you locally are hearing about uh, 
potential rate increases, as you're hearing about as we head into 2020, uh, potential changes to the benchmark plans, you know, sending the alarm signal up to us and helping us uh, validate and research what's going on so that we can educate everyone in the Amped Army about the implications is going to be really, really important. So this is not a call to action today. It is more sort of sending up a flare to everyone in the Army to say, hey, this is an issue we're going to have to be focused on as we as we start heading into 2019, and it's going to be inherently now more and more state-specific. So we could see 50 different things happening across the United States. Um, and, you know, the great thing is we got the Amped Army to help us sort that out and fight the battle. Absolutely. And we're going to do our best to keep on top of it. We need everybody else to keep on top of it, and we will all work together on Amen. this. Dave, thank you again for, for taking your weekend and going over all of this. I really appreciate your time and your effort to clarify the monstrosity of a ruling that It is out a large rule. There was a lot of pages. Happily, yeah. happily <laughs> I, there were some articles, newspaper articles, that sort of summarized the most salient things, and then I could try to be a little bit more targeted as we went through it. But it was my pleasure. And um, listen, it's important for the community to understand that this stuff is going on, even if you don't really want to get into the weeds on all of this, just simply knowing that there are administrative and rulemaking efforts to modify how healthcare works in the United States today. That's an important thing to understand conceptually. Absolutely. And uh, we're going to keep on it. So... I think we covered it, Dave. Great, Peggy. I think you covered it. No, it was a team (laughs) effort, as always. Have a great week. And don't forget to file your taxes on Tuesday. Yeah, thanks, Peggy. And don't forget to to fill out the Amped Army poll also. You can do that anytime this week. Absolutely. Yes, you don't have to wait until Tuesday to do that. (laughs) You can do that anytime. All right. Take care. All right. Bye.